Welcome to Ag Credit Set It. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from all parts of the agriculture industry to bring you insights and must-have information on all things from farming to finances and everything in between. We are back for another episode of Ag Credit Set It. This is Phil Young hosting today. I'm excited for our guest. We have Luke Schrader of Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company. He's with us to talk about farm real estate values, farm equipment values, auctions, and what he thinks the future holds. So hopefully you have your magic ball here with, with you today to kind of see what the future holds. But welcome, Luke. Yeah, yeah thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be on here. Uh, enjoy doing work with Ag Credits um, across different uh, parts of the state. So pleasure to be here and, and excited to be on. Yeah, welcome. You came from Columbia City, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. About an hour away. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, I always like to start off with, you know, we want to learn more about you, um, sure. your background, how you got started in the industry, and, and just the company you work for. So yeah, share yeah. us a little bit about that. You bet. Well, yeah, brief background on myself. I grew up in Northeast Indiana in the Columbia City area. Uh, was around the real estate and auction business uh, throughout a lot of my youth. Enjoyed it. Enjoy agriculture and, and being around it. I went to college at Oklahoma State. Uh, left home there for a little bit. And then I worked for Tyson Foods in Fort Worth for a little while before coming back home. And so really enjoy what we're doing now. Feel very, very blessed with the team uh, we have at uh, Schrader Real Estate and Auction. We've got a lot of really good personnel and people that are just looking to, to make things happen. So feel very fortunate with where we're at as a company. Our company's been around since 1944. So we're celebrating 80 years this year, which nice. is, is uh, yeah, very crazy to think about. But Thankful for the history and also thankful for the team we got today. Yeah, and it's 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 a pretty sizable company. How many employees are with with Schraders? Do you think ballpark? Yeah, we got about probably around 70, 75 folks, and, okay. and that's a mix of employees versus independent contractors and part time folks. But our our team as a whole is is around that seventy five mark. And your scope of business is, I mean, it stretches pretty far, right? I mean, sure. Yeah. yeah. Over yeah. the past two years, I think we've we've uh, you know conducted auctions anywhere from California to Virginia. Uh, so we run coast to coast. But hey, Northeast Indiana and Northwest Ohio is kind of our uh, backyard. That's where we do a majority of our transactions. Okay. And so I'm I'm curious. You said you went to school in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. What, yep. How'd you end up out there? Yeah. yeah, I knew I wanted to go out west. I enjoyed the area out there. Oklahoma State had a really good ag business program, and I, I saw it as an opportunity to meet some more folks and network, and, and uh, our company had a branch in Stillwater. Uh, we, we've got a, an auction manager down there that does a, a lot of work as well. Oklahoma's probably our next biggest state out of Indiana and Ohio, and so that gave me a good opportunity to kind of do some internships while I was going through school. Nice. Well, Real estate values around here has been a hot topic. Sure. You know, there's been a lot of land in just Danworth County in Northeast Ohio or Northwest Ohio, North Central Ohio. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a booming uh, economy here for, for farm real estate. Uh, I guess, what have you seen, you know, elsewhere in Indiana and in Ohio? What's, what's happening with farm real estate? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. There's no doubt about that. And, and, you know, probably the most interesting standpoint is, hey, 24 months ago when, when interest rates were really, really low, commodity prices were high, hey, the land boom, you know, I think was kind of logical for a lot of people as they observed it. You know, they said, hey, this this makes sense. You know, there, sure. there's a lot of money available. Uh, incomes are really, really good and, and land is seen as a very good investment. And so probably the most interesting part about the last 10 to 12 months has been all of a sudden there's some headwinds in the market, right? Interest rates have gone up a little bit. Uh, commodity prices decreased some, but hey, yet we've still seen very, very strong land values. We, you know, we don't 
sit here today and say that we've seen any type of dip over the last six months versus the last 12 to 18. And, and uh, you know, it goes back to how land is viewed as um, one, a scarcity, and, and two, as an investment, right? For the local operator, hey, most of them only have one opportunity to buy a specific farm. Uh, that farm is only going to sell once in their lifetime. You know, you're, you're, most of us are not going to see the same farm sell twice mm -hmm. in the nature of farmland transactions. And, and then as an investment class, hey, farmland continues to appreciate over time in the long run. It's, you know, hey, always impossible to tell in the short run what something's going to do. And, and obviously nobody has a crystal ball for what forever looks like. But in general, you look at the historical growth of farmland and it's been a very safe place to, to put money. Mm-hmm. Has it been, I mean, has it been this way everywhere you think as far as increased values, um, that upward pressure on, on, on sales and just the amount of land selling, has that been pretty consistent everywhere? Yeah, I'd say in general, you know, hey, whether we, we did some deals in, in Texas here in the last six months and, and, you know, so looking recently over the last six months, anywhere from Texas to, to Ohio, uh, land has been selling, you know, relatively strong for each region. Now, there's certainly some regions that have had less land on the market in the last two years. And maybe we're seeing stronger sales there because there's been more cash that hasn't been spent uh, per se. You know, some regions have had a lot of land on the market. And so values maybe aren't quite as, um, quite as strong, but still relatively over a, you know, hey, two to three year period. Uh, there has not been any region that we look at and say, boy, that's just been very, very, very soft. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. And then the other thing you guys you guys do a lot of is equipment auctions and yes. selling equipment. So yeah, what? Yeah, that's an another, interesting market another, right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. So 2020 happened. COVID happened. Obviously, that just seemed like you know equipment values or equipment inventory shot down. Their production stopped, and yep. so just kind of this cocktail of things with the economy shutting down, less less uh, new equipment out there, and, and maybe less buying. And then we kind of surged here. So yep. I guess what have you seen since really COVID is kind of that that marker in my in my history index of like that's right. where we saw some craziness start. Yeah. What, yeah. What's happened, I guess, since 2020 in your mind? Yeah, no, hey, the the farm equipment market has has been a hot topic and reasonably so. Like you said, hey, one after COVID, we saw a drastic spike. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was due to as you mentioned, the tightening of supply. And again, money was money was cheap and there's good incomes. And so you combine those two things and, and there were some very, very strong prices. But we will say, hey, here in the last 60 days and, and maybe even a little bit beyond that, there has been a little bit of a softening in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, we do see supply catching up. Now, with that being said, price of new equipment is has risen drastically. Um, so, uh, Late model equipment that is low houred, uh, that is in very con very good condition, still selling really really well. Uh, but in general, you know, hey, the farm land or the farm equipment market has been softening a little bit, specifically in the heavy trucking and semis. Uh, combine market's been softening, and and a lot of that is due to just supply catching back up. Gotcha. Okay. Now I noticed you brought your bowling ball bag with you because I think you have your crystal ball in there. Yeah, so I, I wish. Guess, what? <laughs> What do you think, I guess, you know, obviously no one knows the answer to this, but what do you see, what do you see happening in the future for, for farm real estate, for farm equipment, as far as values? Yeah, and, yeah, and sure, sure. No, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be running all over the place telling Pete, you know, giving uh, testimonies on, on exactly what's going to happen. So we wish we had that. We'd be able to do our clients a lot more good if we had the crystal ball. Yep. Um, hey, obviously nobody knows 
for sure what's going to happen. I, you know, be transparent. Hey, the farm equipment uh, over the course of the next 12 to 24 months, hey, that's a harder thing to put a pulse on and to, to yeah. stand behind with certainty. Uh, we can say, hey, the land market, uh, it's interesting going back all the way to, to the housing crash, right? And, and 2008, 2009, you know, really the farmland market has never been the same since then. You know, when, when that crash happened and uh, stock market values went down, residential values went down, a farmland stayed steady. It maybe was not near as stout as what we see today relatively, but even when when all you had all these other things and the, the general economy going backwards, farmland remained strong. And ever since then, people have viewed it as such a safe investment class. So, hey, even if incomes come down a little bit, uh, even if, if interest rates um, stay at the level they are, which really, you know, and some people talk about interest rates spiking. Well, over the long run, hey, interest rates are at a pretty reasonable level. You know, to, to some people, it, it seemed high coming off of, of three, 4%, but really we're at a pretty reasonable level when you look at the history of interest rates. You know, we don't see land as something that that's going to soften. And we certainly believe in the long run, land's going to continue to appreciate. And it all goes back to, you know, the, the fundamental essence of, hey, as a world, we need food, we need energy, and we need shelter, right? And, and land is the basis for all three of those things. And they're not making any more of it. Uh, we're becoming more efficient with the land we have, mm-hmm. um, but but they're not making more of it. And to create more shelter uh, for the growing population, hey, we're taking acres out of production. Mm-hmm. Um, to help out with the energy needs, hey, we're taking some acres out of production. And so I'm certainly not here to say what's right or wrong, but I am here to say, you know, we continue to see a need um, for development. Obviously, as, as things grow, there is a need um, and, and a push by the current administration for energy. And so with that, your productive acres that are still in production become that much more valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something to note too. There is a lot of alternative, you know, specifically as it correlates to land values, there is a lot of alternative uh, capitalizations going on in the economy in terms of, hey, you take um, nearby cities of Columbus and Fort Wayne. There's a lot of development. True. Right? Well, what, what are they developing on? Farmland. And so when you have these developments happening that is putting cash in operators' pockets, and then they're going out and looking to buy more land. So the 1031 market is keeping land values really strong, I think is going to continue to do so. And then also the alternative energy markets, uh, whether it's solar or, or regardless of what kind of energy you're looking at, hey, that is infusing some cash that ends up getting put back into the agriculture economy as well. Those operators are taking, uh, whether it's, a, for example, again, solar lease or a solar buyout, they're going to turn around and try to go buy more productive acres. And so that is a compounding effect that continues to put more cash in the ag market mm-hmm. uh, that I don't see, a, a, we don't see a, a slowdown in in the near future. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, uh, and you guys have a, a bigger sense here, uh, as far as buying and selling, who's buying is, are you seeing more investors, uh, you know, uh, landlords selling real estate property right now? And then obviously operators buying, is it a mix of both as far as investors, operators buying farm ground? You hear headlines, obviously 
uh, out west, Bill Gates and yeah. he's buying sure. buying up thousands of acres. You yeah, know? And sure. I don't know that we we feel that here so much, but it is do you get a sense it's it's investors buying or more sure. operators buying? Yeah, that's always a, a hot question. Obviously, given a lot of the headlines and and hey, the headlines get a lot of the attention, yeah. but. Really, we still believe it's an operator-based market in today's conditions. Say, hey, there's a recent report put out uh, where around you know 75% of, of farmland transactions uh, were still farmer bought. You know, so so the majority of farmland being bought statistically uh, seems to be still being farmly farming families getting those bought, even though those aren't the big headlines. And specifically, as it correlates to values, hey, again, it goes back to what I talked about at the beginning of this. You know, your farmers, there is location matters to them. You know, if it borders them, if it is in the area of which they operate, hey, there's only so much of that. And so when something becomes available, uh, you know, we see uh, farmers tending uh, and your operators uh, paying more of a premium than what your investors will. For a lot of your investors, uh, location doesn't quite matter as much and there's not as much emotion behind it, hey, they're looking for a rate of return. And, you know, they're not going to go pay $15,000 an acre for a farm and rent it for 250 bucks an acre and get a whole lot back. And, and those are kind of some random numbers. Obviously, that that uh, cap rate on the rent side varies oh, yeah. where, where you go. Those yep. are generally speaking numbers. But, hey, to your investor, when there's alternative investment vehicles out there, when you can go to the bank and get 5.5% guaranteed, uh, that makes a lot more sense than uh, to a lot of folks that, that it's hard for them to pencil buying a farm and only getting uh, a cash return of 1.5% to 2%, you know, in, in today's world on on what a rent structure might be. And so we still believe it's an operator-driven market on the buy side. Farmers are, are buying most of the land. The sell side is a little bit different, I would say. We don't see a whole lot of farmers selling on a, on a public transaction scale. Now, there might be a, a farming estate that sells, you know, mm-hmm. but 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 a lot of times the operators are, you know, hey, when, when, when they're looking to retire, they're, they're renting the farm to friends, you know, or, or, or people trusted business associates. Uh, obviously, we sell a lot of estates where, you know, you might have five kids inherit this farm. Well, that's, it's tough to divide up land. Cash is pretty simple. You know, if you got a million dollars, you got to divide it five ways, that comes out pretty easy. Whereas 200 acres, you try to divide that five ways. Well, none of, you know, none of that's going to be exactly the same. No 40 acres is going to be the same as the other 40 acres. So, so a lot of uh, the land that sells, obviously, is, is driven through estates. Um, and, but what we do see some investors that maybe bought 10, 15 years ago, they're looking at the market and they're saying, hey, it's, it's time for us to, to cash in. And uh, some of them are reinvesting that money in farmland markets where they they believe that there's still quite a bit of upside. They may be taking that cash and, and go putting it somewhere else. Uh, but we do see investors, um, you know, in, in a hot market, if they bought 10 to 15 years ago, hey, that those those returns look pretty good on an appreciation level. Mm-hmm. And the operators I've seen selling are, are really not selling. I think you mentioned this, doing more 1031 type Yeah, type yeah, yeah. No, you know, I, it's, I, it's a lot of swapping more sure, recently than, sure. than of late. You know. Yeah, I don't want to say there's no operator selling. Hey, sure, there's transactions yeah, yeah. out there happening, but I, I do definitely agree with that. When an operator sells, hey, they're looking to go reinvest it. They made their living off of land, and, yep. you know, they, they believe in it, and it's, you know— uh, during the portion of their life, you know, they're generally looking to continue to acquire. 
I want to shift gears and 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 kind of talk about just auctions in general, yeah, structure yeah, types. Yeah. Sure uh, thing. You know, one thing that's kind of a hot topic when um, uh, you, you look at real estate auctions and equipment auctions specifically is is online stuff. Yep. People bidding equipment specifically. I mean, yep. there's some high dollar equipment out there people don't see or even lay their hands on or are bidding on this stuff. Is that growing? Is that something you're seeing a lot of? Yeah, I would say on the equipment side, there's no doubt that it's yeah. growing and, and you can look at it at a couple different tokens. You know, you're kind of two kind of online sales is you have a timed online or there's just a, a, a ticker counting mm-hmm. down and, and you're looking at a computer screen and, and you're just bidding based off of the timing of it. That's where the timed online comes in. And then you also have virtual, which is becoming, you know, extremely popular where you still have a live auctioneer calling bids, um, but those bids are displayed on a screen. It's happening from a studio. You know, we don't don't always necessarily have a live crowd. Um, can, but don't necessarily always have a live crowd. Items are, you know, located in different regions and people are bidding online to the tune of a live auctioneer. You know, it's, it's kind of a combo of, of both worlds. That's worked out really good um, for our uh, business structure and plan. Um, but even, hey, when we have live auctions, you know, we see uh, live on the site auctions, there's still a, a decent amount of equipment being bought online. And and the biggest difference between equipment and land is equipment you can move, you know, so mm. I can be located in South Dakota, buy a, a good tractor from Indiana and Ohio and economically get it to myself. So, you know, that that is where I think the equipment market is much more fluid and, and is happening. There's a lot more occurring digitally because the remote, uh, the remote buying is much more feasible on the equipment side versus uh, the, the land side because you can move that equipment to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, hey, we, we do see a, a lot of equipment transactions uh, happening digitally, but hey, we still offer a lot of our auctions in a live setting because there's still some folks that like to show up and, and bid. So we, our general plan is, hey, we're going to offer people both, let them decide what they prefer. I, I don't know that that's the the right or wrong decision, but but that's what we've pursued. On the land side, hey, we offer online bidding at, you know, basically all of our land auctions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we still see well over 99% of buyers showing up to bid in person. And a lot of people have asked us, well, why haven't you gone gotten to, to online land auctions? There's a lot of different regions of the country where that's the case. You know, majority of, of public auctions are held online. You know, hey, in our minds, if if people are going to continue to show up, well, well, then that's their preference. You know, if if they're choosing to show up, if if we are getting that good of a live attendance at a land auction, then we're going to continue to provide that option as long as that appears to be what the customer is is searching out. And land just has, again, there's so much sentiment to it. You yeah. know, there, there's no piece of property that's the same as another. A lot of people. If, if they've been driving by that 40 acres their whole life and it comes up for sale, well, that's their only chance to get it bought. And, and so I think the live interaction goes a, a long way with that. And generally speaking, you're talking about a much higher capital level on, on the land side than the equipment side. But equipment values are have certainly, um, you know, it's kind of crazy to think that, that uh, hey, a new combine might buy you 80 acres too, you know, in and, right. and, and some settings. So, um but generally speaking, we, the, the land side is still happening much more commonly in person and the amount of people buying in person on the land side is well uh, in the high 90% range. Yeah. And I think the market will drive that, right? You know, as far as, you know, unless if you guys put on a live auction and no one shows up, it's right. like, well, 
seems like it's online only is the way to go. You right, know? right, you know? But right. you guys still have people showing up. It's like, well, the market, there's a market out there that still demands that. Yeah, so yeah, it, absolutely. It doesn't make sense to shut off that faucet. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. And and it seems to me uh, the comfort level of people bidding online with equipment, you know, uh, two, three years ago when, when supply was low, people were forced to stretch their 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 goggles, I guess, a little bit further out to buy equipment because yeah. they just needed it. Like, I yeah. need this piece, and the only thing that's available is three states away, and I got to bid on it online. And right. I think the comfort level of people just got there. You know, there seems like they just got there faster, and they're like, well, this is what I got to do. So they everyone just kind of got in the mix of you know, yeah. buying online a little yeah, bit Yeah, and that'd be so, an interesting yeah. statistic study. I'm sure it's out there. We haven't ran our own internal research on, hey, what percentage of um, your larger equipment items, whether it's tractors, tillage, you know, harvest equipment, what percent of that is selling, you know, within a five county radius versus out of state. That'd be an interesting thing to look into now that you say that. But, you know, we do notice, uh, as you mentioned, hey, a lot of those uh, items are, you know, it's not uncommon to be sending it across the country and yeah. Canada, you know, certainly not a couple states away. Yep. Um, a hot topic I get asked about on, on real estate auction is a buyer's premium. Yeah, yep. I don't know if you get asked this or, yeah, a yeah. lot, but no, that what it, is a buyer's premium, and do yeah. you see that maybe penetrating the market more or yeah, less? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. That that is a hot topic, no doubt. And hey, I do think um, if you look at agricultural transactions in different parts of the country, the Eastern Corn Belt and the I states are one of the last areas where that to really adapt the buyer's premium. Uh, it's not something that we necessarily want to push as an auction company, right? I mean, we want buyers to look forward to an auction, but there are times where, um, you know, it's it's requested by clients, but hey, you get down into Georgia and the Delta areas, hey, you see a lot of 10% buyers premiums, uh, no matter the size of the farm. You, you get out West and, and you see uh, more buyers premiums and in those regions, it's just kind of accepted. But what we do tell folks is whether there's a buyer's premium or not, hey, people are going to be factoring that in. You know, we're, we're not blind to the fact that, hey, if there's a 2% buyer's premium, you know, most people are going to be sitting there uh, penciling, okay, well, what what am I actually going to pay? So, you know, hey, we, we commonly tell folks, hey, it's going to be counted in somewhere. It, it just matters how you want to go about it. But as you, uh, I, the only reason I say that, uh, that the uh, buyer's premium could become more common is just because in other regions of the country, it, it is much further ahead where it's at. Uh, regionally to Northeast Indiana okay. and, and Northwest Ohio. Okay. Well, uh, I'm curious, uh, you've been doing this for a few years and, and, and any good stories from the road, yeah. I guess, any, anything you want to share as far as maybe interactions with people or just sales that have happened, yeah. anything that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's tough to put, uh, to put a pencil on one because we are, that's what we're most fortunate to be able to do is to come across so many families that, have neat stories and, and we come across so many neat outcomes and uh, and just family history. So I wouldn't say there, there's one story in specific, but generally speaking, hey, the neatest thing for us when we get done with a project is, you know, to take a take an estate with five siblings. You know, they watch their parents build up that farm for, for a lot of years and, and put a lot of work and efforts into that and to, to see the fruit of that capitalized in, in a way that uh, makes all family members happy and grateful. Those are really, really neat stories to walk away from where they, hey, a lot of these farms that we're selling today might have been 
bought for, for tremendously less. You know, these farming families never would have guessed what land would be worth today. Yeah. And so it's always uh, neat for them to see the the fruit of, of previous generations' efforts, and also on the the, the farms that continue to, to to be farmed. You know, it's not always on what we get to sell, but who we get to come across, right? You know, the farms that have made it six, seven generations. Those are really, really neat things to observe and, and to see the continued hunger down the family line to keep operating. So I'd say both sides of that coin are a privilege. For, we, we feel very blessed and privileged to be a part of. Nice. Um, I always like to ask this question for, for different industries. You know, I, I, when I'm out and about and I, people ask what I do for a living, you know, I was like, I'm a lender, you know, and then there's always these common funny questions I get asked when you're out and about and and you meet somebody and you're like, I'm in, I'm in real estate, I'm in auctions, you know, what are, what are some misconceptions you hear a lot about your industry and what you do or, or just, yeah, interesting questions you get asked. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they look at an auction, they just, uh, they envision the day of, right? The event right. itself, which yep. really is only about an hour and a half. Uh, you know, auction could be anywhere from 30 minutes to five hours, depending on the size of the transaction. And so a lot of people, that's all they see and that's all they envision is, and, you know, the question we always get asked is, oh, so you can talk fast. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, right, that's yeah. just kind of what what we get uh, stereotyped as. And and so it's always kind of fun to talk them through, okay, this is all the behind the scenes work that leads up to it. You know, really the, from the time that we normally get introduced to a client to the time an auction happens is at least eight weeks. And sometimes there's six months worth, worth of work that goes into a two-hour time frame, you know, and, and that family spent a lifetime building up something that everybody observes being sold in a two hour span. And so there, you know, the amount of things beneath the surface that occurs that go into them, it's always fun to kind of talk people through that, that process. Yeah. Yeah. People always probably want you to perform talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Um, I guess, uh, and one of the reasons we created this podcast was to educate young borrowers, young farmers getting into it. Any, any tips or advice for somebody who's not bought a piece of farm ground or hasn't done an auction before? You sure. Know, they're getting ready to do this for the first time from from your side of the table. Any tips or advice you give them if yeah. they're going out trying to buy their fees, first piece of farm ground or, or equipment at an auction? Yeah, you know, hey, for, for a buyer, you know, on, on the real estate side, uh, certainly understanding the terms of the sale. I mean, a lot of people uh, tend to just kind of show up and try to skim through things right before the sale, you know, hey, uh, most auction companies are going to post the terms of the sale ahead of time. And so we always encourage people to study those, you know, hey, how are the taxes going to get paid for this year? Um, You know, the biggest one is what are the farming rights for the following year? You know, if if you're buying this, you're going to want to obviously understand whether you can operate it right away or if there's an existing lease that takes another year um, to occur. So that is, those are always important things. And we talked about earlier, buyer's premium. You know, if if you are on a, uh, a strict financial schedule on what you are willing to spend. Hey, make sure you understand whether there's a buyer's premium or, or not and and uh, have a good uh, foundation for those variables going into it. You know, and hey, talk to the auctioneer. You know, that, yep. that's a big thing. We, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm better off hiding in the dark. Hey, there's enough people that, that talk to us through the course of a transaction. We just want to help people be informed, talk them out. So regardless of whether it's us or another auction company, hey, we always just encourage people, call them, talk to them, learn the process, understand how it's going to be conducted. There's different types of auctions. You have better choice, you have multi-tracked. You know, we do all of ours multi-tracked, but understanding how that 
auction is going to be conducted can help you build a strategy going into it if you're looking at buying, you know, anywhere from 40 acres to 500 acres. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Just always, always be willing to ask questions. Yeah, that's, that's right. Thing. That's I've, right. There's I've no learned. bad questions. Yeah, there's no bad, yeah, no bad question. But, well, anything, uh, we're looking at 2024, anything in the auction industry, real estate equipment industry, what, anything big changes coming in the industry you think in 2024 or, or anything you want to highlight at all? No, you know, and that's, that's the most uh, exciting thing about the auction industry is, is it's the most painful part is not having a crystal ball and not knowing, yeah. but it may be the most exciting is that y- you, the purpose of having an auction is to find out what the value is. You know, we believe that that's one of the best ways in a competitive atmosphere uh, in today's market to figure out what the, whether it's a tractor or 100 acres of tillable land or 20 acres of woods. Hey, hey auctions can help figure out what the value of things are. So I don't want to sit here and say if there's any major changes we see coming to the auction industry, but it will be fascinating uh, given the different economic variables um, on a macro level as well as the agriculture specific level to see what the price of, of different things are going forward. Okay. Well, hey, thank you for joining us, Luke. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, appreciate Phil. It's you been a pleasure. Me. Yep. Appreciate you driving over from Columbia City. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Happy to do it. All right, guys. Hey, remember to check out our previous episodes of Ag Credit Set It online, and we'll be back soon for another episode where we sit down with Steve Reinhardt, who is the president of the United Soybean Board. All right, guys. See you then. Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Said It. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave us a review to help others find the show. Let's talk ag in between episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net.